and a one and a two and a one, two, three, four. Wait a second. I'm not sure if I accidentally made this room private or not. It's a hell of a way to intro this, Ryan. It's a hell of a way. I don't think you made it private. Okay, thank God. I'm starting to see people pop in the old chat. We got I'm we got to seeing... filibuster. We got to do a better job of like filibustering and not giving away our takes mm. during like the first minute, and like mm. that way we start the show when people are actually here. That would be a good idea. It's hard because you want to grip them. You want to grab them by the lapels. Do people wear lapels? I really, you know, but it's weird. Even when we have like topics that I wouldn't think like people actually care about, they stick through them. We have like Mm. a sticky show. Very sticky. It's the stickiest show. Well, I guess to filibuster, I can give a shout out to somebody I see in the chat there. And that's Scott who was nice enough, had an extra ticket, uh, had me go to game five of the NBA finals. So that is the level of commitment from some of the fans of this, this year show. And yeah, uh, if anyone wants to lavish gifts on me, I'm available. Hey, you know, and not only that, after I got out of the arena in the chaos outside of chase, I ran into one Rachel Nichols and uh, I had a conversation with her. I can only remember so much of it though, because we were right next to a loudspeaker and the drunken masses were screaming in joy after winning her, game her, her reemergence is on the horizon. It just mm. feels like that. Where do you think as we filibuster? Where will um, Rachel end up? Right, so I, I'll go reckless speculation, okay? We'll, we'll talk okay. about Dan Lebetard. I'm going to steal one of his bits right now. Mm. Reckless speculation. Yes, yes. Let's hear it. Um, I predict she does a podcast on the uninterrupted network. Mm. Like, fun, uh, I, guess. So I think, I think she's going to do a one hour, like I could see her doing like an hour daily digital NBA show going head to head with NBA today. How fun would that be? It would be fun. I think she, like greatest- every day, same time slot, go head to head with them and try to be more interesting. I think her greatest asset is the interview. And so it should highlight that aspect of what she yeah, can do. Yeah, what if she's having LeBron on during NBA today well, on his uh, network? Well, according to you, LeBron. What if you know, LeBron said he's starting a podcast. What if they're starting one together? Yeah, the NBA podcaster space is getting quite full up. It's uh, you got to differentiate yourself. Here's my theory on these. Mm. Um, I think that they, nobody, like, or, like, very few people at scale are listening to the whole thing because, like, just who has the time in the day to listen to all of these? I mean, maybe Draymond is a big exception just because it's just been so relevant. But, like, for a vast majority of these, I think what people are doing is they're picking up the highlight clips on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, even Facebook for some people, Snapchat, TikTok, um, wherever you get your bite-sized social media. And so the goal in them, you want to have a good show for your diehards, but it's clipping the highlights to like, you know, pick up relevance and get video views, which you can turn into ad impressions pretty easily. Yeah, it's hard to differentiate yourself at this point. You need to be playing in the NBA Finals to do it. Um, or I just think... Playing really works. bad in the NBA Finals. <laughs> well, either way works. Bad or good. You just don't want to be in between. I think J.J. Redick works very hard. I think that there's a lot of... Uh, you got to put a lot into it. And Draymond has referenced that, that you actually have to commit to it. And even if a lot of Redick's TV takes aren't my cup of tea necessarily... I think that he has undeniably succeeded in the podcast space. I just don't know how much more, how how many more uh, NBA podcasters there can be on top of the uh, media non-player NBA podcasters. How many people, Ryan, are are that interested in the NBA? Um, less than five years ago. Oh, oh, look at that segue. Less than three years ago. Um, You want to do the expository on the NBA ratings? Are we going to lead with that? I guess we are. Well, Um, okay, let's lead this way. I'm going to lead it this way, okay? Um, I, you you sent me a clip. It was Lebitard show. um, And it was my understanding that it was in opposition to something you had said. But then I start listening to it 
No, and you are name-checked by Dan Lebitard. You are out there as a conversation piece on the Dan Lebitard podcast. He was disappointed um, in me, though. Well, he might be, although when this all began, I thought it would be him crushing you. And I even tried to sell it like that in the uh, little description of what we're doing here, that uh, it's Dan versus in you. The, in the store. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I then listened to it, and it felt as though Dan was fairly nuanced. Um, it was your take earlier that you thought there were a million people who would not appreciate uh, Mark Jones uh, uh-huh. on 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 the broadcast as he was for the first couple of games. Um, you, I, I, he did not frame it like it was causing people to run away necessarily, but that a million people didn't like it. It was a conversation piece. Uh, you were a little bit. It, it almost seems to me. My take on it, as somebody who likes Dan, that Dan is almost the wise older liberal, and he's just up against his more strident millennial employees. And it's almost, uh, it, it, it's just an interesting dynamic. I came away intrigued by what they had built over there. So that was one take. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. I wouldn't say that Mark Jones could make uh, uh, ratings go from 12 million to 11 million. And I don't think I did as good of a job as I could have. Um, <laughs> he's not the reverse, really, uh, you know, one tweet. He's not the reverse human out of home. God, that's a nerdy niche reference. Anyway, continue. <laughs> I think there's 50 million sports fans in America just by gauging like all the ratings together. I think there's 50 million people who watch sports like at least once every week or two. Do you <laughs> think that's fair? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Um, you, you know, NFL playoff games get in the 30 millions. Um, like Fox NFL and CBS NFL Sunday late afternoon, those games can regularly draw 20, 25 million viewers. And it's yeah. not like every one of those repeats every week. So I think there's fi- about 50 million people I would characterize as sports fans in America. Yeah. I think yeah. 1 million of those, which is 2%, doesn't want to hear, knows who Mark Jones is and doesn't want to hear a game called by him, which isn't necessarily to say that he could totally repel them. Like, I don't, it it depends on the stakes of the game. You know, is it 2%? Can he make a 1% to 2% difference? (laughs) Is that even fair or is that way too many for the people don't watch or don't stay away from games because of the announcer's crew? Yeah, well, you were undermined in this in this claim of anti-Mark Jones sentiment, the populist sentiment, by the ratings continuing to be dog shit after Mike Breen came back, which in a yes, weird way... Yes, that made my... I admitted that, too. I said I would yes. admit if I was wrong. Foolish, foolish by you. You should have stuck to your guns and never backed down. But it, yeah, well, that was... You know, like, yeah. the, I didn't go and look at the impressions, but I would guess that a thousand times more people saw the first one as me saying I admitted I'm wrong because a lot of people responded the first time, you know, it got to Lebetard a week later somehow. I was just Ryan's niche. Mark Jones take is a conversation piece on Lebetard where uh, it's a top five podcast and it's like talking about it a week later. So that means people have been talking about it for a week because if he saw it sooner, there would have been no reason for him not to bring it up, or maybe it's just been kicking around in his brain for that long. But yeah, I don't know. It was amazing to me, but it wasn't because people are wondering why are we talking about this beyond that it's interesting that people find you to be more controversial than they find uh, me. Um, but I, I think there was an aspect, there was something that was brought up in that conversation that I filed away as interesting. And that was Dan talking about how they had pulled him aside at ESPN, they had said that we have done the focus groups, we've done the research, people don't want politics, they don't want this stuff in their programming. And he was fairly open about it. And it was just so interesting to see it, to just know that, yes, there's research on this. Yes, people within the belly of the beast are confronted with this. And yet, one of the most fascinating dynamics of our time, Ryan, the social incentives overwhelm the financial incentives, seemingly. Well, so here's the thing. Lebetard was describing that the focus groups they conducted in the pre-pandemic George Floyd era, which is just like a totally different time in the world. 
Yes. Um, you know, Trump is president in this era. And so there's all of that going on. Yeah. And there's like the half of the country who voted that voted for him just disgusted with all the anti-Trump sentiment in the popular media, including ESPN. And so after Jimmy Pataro took over for John Skipper, he went on like a two year tour, just hammering his like shoe on the table saying, we don't want political talk. We don't Mm. want political talk. The, the focus groups that Dan cited today that you found interesting were reported by Ben Strauss, no relation to Ethan. In although the although he was recently referenced uh, by Awful Announcing as Ethan Strauss. I saw there was an article by Ben Strauss, and uh, I they, they cited it as by me, and I figured I'll take credit. Seems like Ben Strauss does some did a decent story this time. I won't correct them, but continue. Um. Yes. The. the so. <laughs> the, I don't uh, know. Is it non sequitur? Sorry. No. No. It's funny because <laughs> I bet you a lot of people confuse the two of you every once in a while. Yeah, I suppose. I know nothing about him. Haven't met him. Uh. Anyway, I have. Saying, he's, a, he's a good guy. I've met him twice. I've had pizza with him, and I've had diner breakfast with him. And, um, it's like, it's good to meet people. It like, I, I think I'm kind of blessed where most of like my competitors or whatever, I'm pretty chummy with them. Mm. Other than I, I used to be a little bit more chummy with Deitch and we, we lost touch, but everybody else pretty much like, you know, Marshan helped me get my job at the post after we were competing and he kicked my ass. Um, mm. but the, um, so yeah, with, with they they talked about these focus groups in the Washington Post. Like Norby, they got rid of uh, Michael Smith and Jamel Hill and like installed that yeah. totally neutral at the time before Sage Steele became a lightning rod sports center with her and Kevin Nagandi. And then they just every month they you know what they've been doing with NBA Today this year and saying it got better ratings than the jump. That's what they were doing every month with um, Sage and Nagandi versus the Mike and Jamel sports center. Like it was like a very public campaign by them that they didn't want politics. And Dan um, ran afoul of that when he, he went, I don't even remember when he went after Trump, what it was for. It was, <laughs> who even knows? It was a blur. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We Whatever it was, this, it could have been one of 35 we, things. We, we um, were locked in this hellish loop where conservatives were mad because they saw it as so unfair the way that Trump was attacked and regarded. Um, and then the liberals would say, well, Trump's beyond the pale and he's a sui generis situation. So we have to throw out all the rules. And it just went in a circle constantly. And it was a, an annoying conversation. Yeah, and it was like, Democrats were like, no, we're not anti-Republican. We're anti-Trump. It's this guy. And yeah, it never ended. And it still hasn't ended. And it's only gotten worse. But um, uh, I have a take on that. Um, I, I have a take on that. Uh, but I want to hear you complete this take, and I will. I will. Yeah. So, give my take on that. Um. But but I I felt like Dan was disappointed in me because he said like I can't believe someone who's been covering media for as long as he has, which I guess has been almost a decade now for me, would say that. And um, he called the like tweet like kind of carefully worded, which mm. he said it with a negative connotation, I thought. Yeah. And then there was something about how maybe there was more racial animus towards Mark Jones, which I don't, that wasn't, I don't think he said that, but somebody else said it, which, I mean, you've done a very clever job in your life, uh, Ryan, uh, hiding your, your anti-black sentiment, um, you know, with your, your various choices. So <laughs> congrats, congrats on that. They, um, but yeah, for, for, for the record, the my side of the family that you're referencing, which is my yes. wife's side of the family and my wife would not give me some type of like pass to be um, like an expert, <laughs> like compassionate, like race relations spokesperson <laughs> for them. So it's very unfortunate because that's to, why like, I'm well, as um, somebody it, who is married. Like, I don't want to say that. I, I don't, 
I just, I don't feel like I have that as kind of like an ace of spades to play. I don't think it's like reasonable. Well, it's very unfortunate because I've tapped you to help me on this podcast specifically as a, an, emiss- an emissary and ambassador on race relations. So it's uh, it's very unfortunate to learn that. Um, but, okay, yeah. so the um, I I think that a million extra people want to hear Gus Johnson call a game, okay? Mm. Like, because he is, he he's somebody, look, he, some people he rubs the wrong way, but I think more people love his genuine, like, extreme enthusiasm for treating the athletic competition as something with enormous, I feel like, like you're life-altering trying to walk back your take a little bit. You're trying to walk back the take, and it was a fair take. You argued for it expertly i wasn't compelled but it was a very strong argument last week when we talked about yeah it, i'm not gonna go through it all again yeah it's like a seven we'll, minute we'll, we'll explanation, the, but we'll, we'll, the two long yeah. didn't read is like how would dan feel if clay travis was a play-by-play guy and he was yes. calling the nba finals you exactly exactly and i think i not even talking about dan but just so many people in that particular milieu they don't even consider that they they don't consider it because they don't consider, they don't themselves consider to be... it because they say that um, Quay has terrible abhorrent views and yeah. Mark Jones has virtuous views and I'm not making a value judgment either way like I don't want to get into judging somebody's like intentions or anything I'm just saying there's half of the country that really feels strongly like the the, the stupid political parties have replaced yeah. religion and so. Like people have faith for Trump or whatever, and they don't want to have somebody who belittles them, like involved with their what used to be neutral sports. Yeah. And I think that is I think that's fair. But the people with the institutional power and who have, I think, a critical mass of um, agreement within media don't see their views as an ideology um, that is morally neutral. They just see it as the correct opinion. So they don't do that. They don't do that comparison, even though it's just so intuitive that if some of the sports teams that they liked started signaling a politics uh, that they were very much against, that they would check out, they'd bow out, they'd tell people to boycott. We know this. And there's something ludicrous about this insistence that nobody makes their decision based on this. I mean, yeah, people care a little bit about politics in the United States of America. It, it actually might compel somebody to change the channel. That seems fairly obvious to me. I think so I don't. Yeah, I don't know what number to put on it. I wouldn't put a Mark Jones number on it um, necessarily. But when I see the highly disappointing viewership for the NBA Finals with a dream matchup, by the way, fluffed up by out of they home. couldn't they couldn't have a better matchup other than warriors nets there's like yeah. out of what it's 90 permutations of the nba no it's like 225 yeah. permutations of the nba finals okay and I'm, there's 15 teams in each conference right yeah and, and so there's numbers. 225 permutations it's 15 times 15 they have the second best one out of 225 within reason. I mean, I guess Warriors, Knicks, if you could do that. So whatever, top five out of 225, you know, it's a top 2% matchup. And you're getting an all-timer Steph Curry performance in game four. Um, I'm looking at him. It's game one, 11-9. How many Hall of Famers are in this too? It's like three at least on the Warriors, like Steph, Clay, and Draymond. You have to yeah. remember, like, everybody makes the Basketball Hall of Fame, and it counts college. So yeah. anybody who says Draymond isn't getting in with at least three no, rings plus he deserves it. Michigan State is insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. Russo's yeah. been trying to argue that. He's so wrong no. because, like, he has this idea of what the Hall of Fame should be rather than what it is. And Draymond is a Hall of Famer based on who is in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. So there's three on that side, and I think I would bet a good amount that Jason Tatum will be a Hall of Famer. And then we don't know on, you know, Jaywin Brown, there's circumstance where he could be. So there's four to five, right? And Andre is going to make the Hall of Fame. Kerr is a Hall of Fame coach. Um, so, So we've got six. 
I mean, we don't need to belabor the point. It's a killer matchup, even if it's maybe not the optimal of the optimal because America hasn't gotten so acquainted with the Celtics. It's an incredible matchup, and you've got Steph Curry goosing interest in Game 4 by um, one of the greatest playoff performances we've seen, and you're going $11.9 million in Game 1. This thing usually escalates as time goes on, but they're at 13 million in game five, boosted by out of home by a double digit percentage. Uh, I know that somebody has dug into the hockey numbers for what out of home does and come up with a 13%, which isn't quite the 15% that we thought, but it's summertime. So fewer people are in home. So those numbers are. So so you say it's 13 million for game five in 2019, which was Warriors versus Raptors. Which is a worse matchup than yeah. Celtics versus Warriors, and it is no out of home, as you mentioned. That mm-hmm. did eighteen point three million. So yeah. it's five. It's a drop of over five million when things should be going their way, and which is like honestly, it's over twenty percent. You know, it's like between like twenty and thirty three percent. Yeah, and somebody would say that KD, I think, made his return in that game five, so that was uh, that was interesting. But overall, yeah, I guess so. Durant is a factor, but yeah, but not a Mark Jones level factor. I mean, no, I'm joking, <laughs> but yeah, it, yes. The the point is overall that this is just tremendously disappointing to the NBA. Um, you know, I, I actually yeah. um, I want to add a very nerdy thing that somebody smart reached out and talked to me about. Um, So these finals are a week later than those 2019 finals. And that, you know, even though the end of the series did pretty well, like, you know, game five happened when these games that we're talking about earlier in the series did bad. But... Like, I think the further you get into summer, the more people just want to be doing stuff outside in the places where the most people live, which is like New York, Philly, Chicago, etc. I think that's all fair, but at the same time, there's just no way to dress this up as shocking, shocking based on the matchup. Yeah, Um, uh, so it's really, it's, it's really bad and... I don't like, and so I, now the I, I'll give is a take. Don't I, think it's people's distaste with the league's politics, and I guess they can fairly make the point that MLB, NFL, yes. NASCAR, yes, all this, these leagues are super woke. Like well, they're all doing. And this gets to something else, which is that the NBA, in a way, gets punished more as the archetypal woke league uh, than the other leagues do. And this is, you know, maybe we're being lefty here. If we if we go with yeah, this, yeah. Joe uh, Burrow argues for gun control, and you don't hear nearly the vitriol you get. This is a guy won a national title in college football in like the highest rated college football game in a very long time. Yeah. Um, and then he also got to the Super Bowl this year. And he's arguing stridently for gun control. The media is all covering it because, um, first of all, like as he, we've talked about, he's right. We need more gun control. And second of all, it's a cause they agree with. So it's getting like a lot of coverage. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't get nearly the vitriol as uh, NBA players speaking out about no. gun control. Well, I, yeah. and I think you could say there might be an element of racism there, that the NBA is the individualistic black league. And so therefore, activism out of the NBA, if you are a lefty, and it's funny to me that this argument is never made by lefty people in media, that the NBA gets more. Well, I should say, I think Bomani makes the argument, but they get more punished by the public for these things, even though they probably indulge in the least of it now among the major sports. And if you're looking at the gun control display uh, in the lead up to the NBA finals, what are you going to do? I'm a free speech expansionist. If Steve Kerr, if Marcus Smart, if they want to wear the shirts and uh, represent an anti-gun perspective, I, I don't believe in shutting them up, and I don't think it's I don't think it's ethical, and I don't think it's practical to do in that scenario. I agree. And, I like, and, 
But I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm totally like, see, now you gave me an easy segue to our next topic. Mm. And we'll get to JF, who's a great regular caller. But, um, yeah, we, we laud Steve Kerr. And, you know, Steve Kerr smart, said a smart, says smarter things, okay? And we agree with him that we have to do something to improve gun violence. We can't just be complacent about it and let children get mowed down at schools. Like, we are all totally... Yeah, I think think broadly in favor of, you know, people not getting shot by... I mean, look, to give... I am not an expert on gun policy by any stretch, but I broadly think that prohibitions work. Um, I broadly think that I, I think conservatives are lying to themselves a little bit when they say that the supply has nothing to do with the crime. Um, it, I think when you have more supply of something, uh, it's going to lead to more guns in people's possessions uh, in possession. Uh, but I also then where I get off the train with the liberals on this is that you, you actually need to enforce the gun control. That's actually kind of important, uh, whether it's Giuliani or Bloomberg. You can't just say, we're doing gun control now and have Chase Abudin or whoever <laughs> effectively <laughs> doing nothing. I mean, that's also, yeah, just that's like, also the issue. So, just yeah. dropping felony gun charges right <laughs> and left as far yes. as I can see. Yes, there's the gun, because the, the, the aspect of this whole debate is that in the liberal mind, uh, the media liberal mind, it's like they think, I don't know, 90% of murder is, is done by rednecks. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's just a very strange... They, and they think, like, they, they, they probably, um, in their mind, it, like, if we figured out what percentage of murders are carried out with these, like, you know, it's terrifying. They, it's 9 millimeter. Nine, 9 millimeter is... But, yeah, like, nice, what's the yeah. percentage of people that get killed by those versus regular handguns, which don't get prosecuted? Yeah, I don't know, but it's probably it's way more than everybody thinks. Yeah, it's the overwhelming percentage. But, yeah, now we're in gun land. Right, I want so, to leave, right, leave gun I was segueing yeah. to Jack Del Rio, who gave his opinion, which was about, which was at least a half bad opinion, and just got told to like shut up and coach linebackers. Yeah, got shut up and coach, yes. <laughs> yeah. Shut, so shut the Jack Del, let's do some expository. To hit the quarterback. Yeah, let's do some expository for those who do not know. Uh Jack Del you wrote Rio about it, so you got this. Yeah, yeah. Jack Del Rio tweeted at a weird like Brookings Institute flack kind of guy norm eisman maybe not a flack i mean that's the the correct word uh who was saying that we need a one we need a one six hearing to learn the truth and he said well what like some right winger definitely like quote tweeted it into his timeline and he saw it and got mad yeah and he said well what about hearings on the riots the looting looting and the burning that um you know caused so much destruction i'm paraphrasing i don't have the tweet in front of me so then he was asked about it in a press conference. And actually, the thing nobody's going to admit is that he represented his opinion pretty well for maybe a minute and a half. <laughs> for maybe a minute and a half, he was doing pretty good. Nobody wants to admit this right now, but he was having a good the, minute this, and a we're half. We're the there. only people who will tell the truth. Yes, we are the only people in media who will tell you that for a minute and a half, Jack Del Rio was really in that thing. He was he was in that fight. He he had not been tossed by the rodeo bull of controversy. But then he Well no, rep- he still would have been, but they would it, he still would have been, but it wouldn't have been nearly as bad without yeah. the DU word. Yes, the D word. He referred to the Capitol riot as a dust up. Like almost at the end, like a throwaway line. That right there He, uh, he gave yeah. you can't give us the headline word. Yeah, you, give us the headline word. It's you're in trouble. Yes. So he said dust up. Uh, he referred to it as a dust up dismissively in comparison with the rioting. Uh, it resulted in a media firestorm. Ron Rivera, the coach of the uh, I wanted to say Redskins, but it's the commanders now the commanders. It's uh, hard. It's hard to get used to. It's very hard to get used to. Find him a hundred thousand uh, dollars for saying this, 
and had a fairly Orwellian team statement on it about the hurt and the blood. I'm just tired of that. By you know, the way. he didn't write it. They put his name on it, and he said okay, and yeah, they said it out. All the hurt and the pain. It just, I, it's just this whole thing, like the overly emotive language. He, um, he actually did a way better job explaining himself when he spoke to reporters about it than on yeah. that like creepy statement. Did you, yeah. did you catch what he said? I haven't caught, I didn't catch the Ron, the riverboat. He Ron like, you know, he's like, you know, we're a football team and we've got like 53 different guys from different backgrounds and we want to win games and him talking about this stuff is like not productive to our mission. True. Fact check. True. I mean, I, I favor, expansive speech norms, but part of me the whole time was just thinking, why are you getting involved in all this? I, I feel similarly when I'm following, although I do like following the Stan Van Gundy's Twitter feed, but I feel similarly when I'm following that, where it's just, can we stay on topic here? Can we make, keep the main thing the main thing? There was also this other aspect where there were legislators who were threatening the commanders and they need a stadium in Virginia. So it seemed like it was causing Yeah, they need, they need, front. they need, uh, well, they can't go like seven minutes without an organizational scandal. Like it's yeah, not they, just like this wasn't the first tempest that they've been involved with. Like you know, the Washington yeah. Post has a new, um, just lurid expose every week and a half on them, and so yeah. it, it, they just like Ron Rivera. All he wants to do is coach football. He doesn't want to be involved it he doesn't want to have to answer questions about this stuff you know yeah. uh, there so it was like i ian o'connor at the post wrote like a good piece on um the new giants coach what's his damn name how am i forgetting his name um uh, but bill parcells I, no sorry continue <laughs> <laughs> anyways the um he he's like yeah so you gotta the 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 in practice now it, he he was the offensive coordinator of the Bills, Brian Dable, and he's like, you could have a great day at practice because you whip the defense's ass, but now if the offense whips the defensive ass or vice versa, it's like, okay, now I got to figure out what the wrong side is and how to fix mm. that. And all these people are coming into his office who want something, like his assistants, the owners, yeah. the front office, all the players. Like, you want to have an open-door policy as a leader. So he's like, you know, the most important thing to this guy might be the 80th most important thing to me, but I have to make him feel like his problem is important to me. So Ron Rivera yeah. has that 18 hours a day. And, and he's frankly, a cancer survivor. He's old. He doesn't want to be dealing with this. Can I say that he never struck me as the, the, the sharpest guy either? It seems like it's a lot to handle for poor Ron. Um, no, he, I he's, um, he is sharp, but he hides it. He's It's like an art of war thing. Well, I he's like running when the he was... whole organization. Like he, he's, yeah. he's put himself in a very significant person. Like he he's gotten that type of personnel power that like every coach really covets that only like kind of three or four of them in the league get. And he's really mm. like, there's a reason it's his name on the state on the statement. He's the face of everything. So he, I, the, I, by, he he's really maneuvered his way into a position of big power. Okay. But well, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. Ron Rivera is a Machiavellian genius. I mean, I, I see, I see no reason to argue against it, but now we get to the portion that I objected to. And that is, the media characterization of this, um, and also it was reified by the Ron Rivera statement that he may not have written, and it is comparing uh, Jack Del Rio uh, talking about a riot, a Capitol riot, or an attack on the Capitol, to a, quote, protests or racial protests, as you saw in the ESPN framing, as you saw in the Adam Schefter tweet, as you saw in the Washington Post write-up, that's lying, folks. That's lying. That's not what happened. That's not what Jack Del Rio said. Jack Del Rio specifically was criticizing the looting, burning, and rioting. And there's something to me that's Orwellian and strange about the inability to admit to just observed history that we all experienced two years ago because you want to protect some sort of narrative and you want to 
I don't know, not freak people out about what happened or not seem like you were criticizing what happened. That to me was something that was worth uh, identifying there. You can be critical. You can be critical of Jack Del Rio in this scenario without pretending that he was saying we need to investigate the protests like the protests. There need to be hearings on the people who marched against the George Floyd murder. That's not that's not what he said. He was no, talking about not what he said. What yeah. these people believe, though, is in a matter of proportion that Donald Trump refusing to accept the result of an election that he fucking lost <laughs> and <Yeah>. um, <laughs> sending like these people, like he, he, if, if like Pence or any number of like people had bar had, had like betrayed the country, we would have been like really, really, really fucked. And then the, these people storm the Capitol, destroy stuff. Like, who knows what could have happened yeah, if, like, I, they got I, their hands on, like, AOC or something. Like, yeah, it's actual I, real fear if this mob had been able to get to these people. I, and I so have to that, just reconcile. They say that is way worse yeah. than what happened in the riots, which was the destruction of replaceable property. Although 25 people also did to, die. To be clear, you are giving mentioned. their view of things. You are not, <laughs> when you, when you tease this out um, and, and talk about the riots is, is merely, merely property. Um, unless I am missing something there. No. Yes. They're, they, they, yeah. they, they downplay they, the 25 deaths, but what they think is that, that this was like a Republic threatening moment with Trump well, or they that think two things everything else bad that has ever happened. That's or, their or, opinion of it. Or, or they also think that the rioting was justified, that riots are the voice of the unheard and everything else. And you're right. Like they have a different moral intuition. I just have to uh, just reconcile or just understand that when I saw the Capitol riot take place the entire time, I was just kind of going LOL, look at these losers. I at no point thought they were going to overthrow the government. I had no I know, point I know, thought... but you have to see it as part No, but I, I'm of telling you that that's I, what also no, no, but, I, but, I, but I'm telling you that I that's how I felt about it as it was happening. But I have to just understand that a bunch of other people, um, and many of them important, were terrified and thought that the entire country was hanging by a thread and that they were they were traumatized by this thing. Uh, whereas I just looked at it as a loser's coup, doomed to failure, that Trump, uh, who just watched... Yeah, that's TV. like, you, you idiots are all going to spend the next 15 years in jail for this guy? Yeah, who has no alliances within any power center at all and has just angered everybody and shows, at least from my perspective, no capacity all uh, to he, actually... All yeah. Trump had to do, and he couldn't, was go like just say I lost. I'm you. You guys made a big mistake. Watch what happens, and in four years, like you better pray that I'm willing to serve you again because <laughs> this country's gonna go to hell. And he he would have right. He would have tweeted that. That seems like something he might have tweeted. But yeah, so I have to understand that. So yes, they have a different moral intuition on this whole thing, um, and. That is a fair intuition to have. It's a fair perspective to have that one is worse than the other. Where it goes wrong, though, is... Is being, lying about yes. and mischaracterizing what they were. Yes, and the need to do that. And it's happening at a very odd time to me, Ryan, because to to bring it back, and when I said I had a take on something about how you were saying it's even worse, like this kind of circular, this circular argument of why are you so biased, the conservatives say, and the liberals and media say, because you're objectively bad. And it just goes in this circle. And I saw a little bit of it when I was watching Lebetard talking with his uh, millennial colleagues about this exact thing where, uh, is it Jessica Smet? Is it Smetana? Is, is I, that, don't, is, I don't know how to pronounce But she was it. saying there's no other side to this is what she was saying. And, I know there are people who still feel that way. I think they can't perceive the ice melting on the bird they reside on. I think they can't perceive the loss of legitimacy that they're suffering because there's no big bad Trump out there and because the country is getting worse with their favored party in power. And it just seems like they're 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 doing the same. They're, they're just doing the same trick. They're mashing the same button. 
And I just don't see it having as much purchase. So something they're very lo- strange. Yeah, they're happening. looking at something 18 months ago that I think, what, 75, 80% of the country has moved past in their minds. Yeah. Well, and I think there was something similar from the aforementioned Stan Van Gundy about how the capital riot is worse than inflation. You should understand that. And it's, hey, maybe so, but poor people, working class people, really, if you're in dire straits, you don't, you don't give a fuck. You really don't give a fuck. And that's See, how it so, goes. Yeah, that's the thing. For Stan Van Gundy, prices have gone up. But is there anything that he wants to do or eat or, no. you know, pay for his housing or his car that he can't? No, because he's no. a winning bidder. If you yeah. if you are losing the bids in these price surges, you have a different opinion about them. Yes. And so something strange is almost that is happening here, an incongruity. Maybe we'll finally get JFM to talk about it, but or whatever he wants to talk about. Uh, where it almost seems like uh, the ideological fervor, whatever you want to call it, you can call it wokeism, has never been stronger within the institutions after that that uh, that summer, that heavy summer of 2020. It's never been stronger. It can get uh, Jack Del Rio fined $100,000, and it's never been less popular. It's just never been less popular. I mean, I, I saw, uh, y- you see the way it's being discussed, this exact controversy, and it's as though the people who believe what Jack Del Rio believes are the slimmest of minorities. I think Dan was being generous almost among the crowd he was speaking with when he said maybe 25, 30% believe it. I, I referenced the civics poll because I find it shocking versus the mainstream discussion of these things. Civics is a polling firm run out of the Daily Coast shop, a a progressive polling firm. I think of anything, it skews left of what the actual public opinion is. Um, You know, at the kind of... You're about to describe a shocking number. Yes, I'm about to describe a shocking number. First, I will describe a non-shocking number. I am talking about, this this is the change in things. This is early June, the videos are out, people are reacting to them, and Black Lives Matter, in the civics tracking... Uh, poll has 52 support and 29% opposition. You know, that, that seems about, seems about right. Right. That, that seems to be, I think even maybe the number that the people on Levitard show think the country feels now black lives matter supported by only 42% of the country down from 52 and opposed by 45% underwater by three percent this thing that is you just cannot even question in sports media as an unalloyed uh, good and then when we start doing the cross tabs and we uh recognize that among sports fans for instance skew heavily male um more men like sports uh, than than women i know it's a shocker uh, another thing that everybody knows we're not supposed to say this is the shocking number when we when we uh, adjust for men in the civics tracking poll, 34% for Black Lives Matter support, 54% opposed, underwater by 20% among the men of America. Um, and that, I mean, that is something that I just don't, I don't think, I, I don't, do you think people in media have any idea it's like that out there? Do what percent of the people who work in media know about all the scandals inside the Black Lives Matter organization because it's two different things. Number one, Black Lives Matter is a statement that, of course, any non-douchebag racist agrees with. Like, yeah, it would be a crazy thing to to disagree with the uh, the literal statement itself. Yes. But then it's an organization that was run by Marxist thieves. And this isn't like a defamatory thing to say, because like if they took you to court over it, you could point to 45 different scandals that they've had. There's like a lot else too that's happened, which is that the murder rate has skyrocketed. Uh, There's probably around over 10,000 murders over the 2019 baseline. And um, I think that frankly, Ferguson effect is fairly slam dunk social science at this point. I mean, we've, we've seen the object 
lesson in all of this that uh, police departments do not want to have an interaction. Uh, it's probably better for you if, if you're a mayor to have a 20% rise in the homicide rate versus one national headline grabbing uh, horrific, um, you know, deadly shooting. And so there's been a pullback to say nothing of defunding, which happened uh, in Oakland, for instance, which has had a lot of problems. And so people are reacting to all these things on this particular issue. But of course, not just this issue. I think there is an overall loss of legitimacy, and it might be one of the more subversive points I try to bang on about to a lot of my friends in media. But if you don't make life better when you're in charge, your moral arguments lose purchase. It's just on what basis should we believe somebody who says there's no other side to this? Uh, it's like, what is the basis? What yeah, are they, the, you know, like huge inflation plus a huge uptick in violent crime at the same time. And so I don't know, like, there, there's no, the, 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 um, they don't blame their religious political leaders mm. for failing to deliver competent governance. Yeah, it's just, I happen to think that um, social cachet is downstream of standard of living effectiveness. And that's why the Soviet Union collapsed. There was a lot of ideology behind the Soviet Union. But when people concluded that it wasn't doing what they needed it to do on a kitchen table level, uh, that kicked off the preference cascade. So I'm just looking out there and we're not necessarily going to get into all the politics of it. There was a very interesting election uh, yesterday and uh, you know on can, the uh, can I uh, yeah. interrupt and mildly change the subject but like yes so did you see the video of Phil Mickelson at US Open practice yesterday oh are you talking about the one where the crowd just loves Phil and they're laughing yeah. him with we spent the yeah. last literally four months with one like negative tirade after another from the media about Phil Mickelson and then the first yeah. time he actually shows his face to the public that used to adore him, they still do. <laughs> yeah. So like the, the public could like takes these media targets and is like, just thinks that the media reflexively is treating them totally unfairly and will back the people that they love to the end of the earth, regardless of what they have or haven't done wrong. Yeah. Well, it's Phil Mickelson did cool YouTube videos that helps my short game. What has the media done for me lately? But like for, for like 20, 30 years, Phil has been the guy signing autographs, taking photos with fans. You you approach him at dinner. He doesn't yeah. jump down your throat. It's like you, there's people like this in, in our lifetime, like John Madden, Charles Barkley. There's not that yeah. many, you know, and where they're super famous and still it's got to be annoying. And like it takes up all your time to – um, treat these uh, adorers with gratitude and you know someone who we talk about a lot like LeBron like imagine it, like if he found himself in this like that's why the public is willing to give Phil the benefit of the doubt with Saudi Arabia but like a lot of people are out on LeBron over China because Phil shows like gratitude to them and yeah so, i just think i i think there's just there's that and i think there's just a loss of media legitimacy there's just a sense some people are lockstep with it and it's whatever is getting talked about whatever the current thing is i think people increasingly are coming to the conclusion that the people in charge of the conversation um are not our social betters they don't know what they're doing uh they're overeducated impractical people uh, who have a lot of good ideas but when rubber meets the road apparently haven't shown a capacity to actually make things functional and i think it is causing uh, a preference cascade and I, i'm thankful for it because it's also, frankly, allowed me to uh, make a living um, on my website. So it's not uh, good yeah, for society. Ima imagine if the um, what your business proposition would be if the like media were totally like honest and transparent. It, it, would, it would. I would be useless, or I would have to. I'd be trying to be. You'd the have next to work Jenkins. for them, which would you know. <laughs> I guess I, I, as far as like media institutions go, I work for a pretty good one, but I still have to answer to people. 
Yeah, I mean, I do find it strange uh, without getting into the numbers that I make more now with uh, no platform or pushing my stuff out other than Twitter, where I put the links out, than I did for any institution. That just seems, I don't know, it just seems, uh, it seems off. It just seems, again, that the social incentives are against the financial incentives. One of the themes of the show, but we've, we've kept JFM waiting for so long. I suppose we should take his question. If he's, uh, if he's still there, I wanted to, I wanted to take a few shots at Mark Jones being Canadian. I think the presence of JFM, uh, JFM from our, uh, from the great white North prevented me from taking that shot. Uh, but let's, let's hear what he's got to say. Hey, you know what? I, I, I'm not a fan. I've called him before and mentioned, I'm, you know, I find him corny and, you know, his kind of comments uh, just don't belong in the game. It kind of takes the flow out of it. And it's really Did strange. He, call, because... he called the Boston, uh, when Boston was making a surge in the finals, he called it an insurrection. Uh, that was that was interesting. Yeah, but yes. it's, it's really interesting, too, because his brother is the play-by-play man for the Raptors radio broadcast, and they couldn't be any more different. Like his brother is just kind of your kind of milk toast uh, play by play guy who doesn't say anything, you know, interesting, but, you know, something that you'd enjoy because he's not, you know, put it, injecting himself too much into the game. It's, yeah. it's very strange. Well, you know, Mark Jones, good set of pipes. It's a good baritone. I'll say that much. But, but, uh, JF, you got to take what you got. Yeah. For so us? I want to jump in because you guys were both agreeing that. You know, and this is trying to get to the understanding of why the ratings are still pretty low uh, since 2018, 2019. And since you guys both agree that the NBA is not really a woke league anymore, I really had wanted to attack that point because I think it is. Well, a no, no, we're not saying it's not a woke league. We're saying it's not not woker than the other leagues. It's not woker than the leagues that are kind of conservative and are um, just racked with self-loathing. Um, they, they don't have that dynamic going on. Yes. Well, I will say that, you know, I think the die is cast on the NBA for being woker than those other leagues. Of course, institutionally, the league has backed off. They've recognized kind of the trouble it's gotten them in uh, on the ratings and viewership side. So they've kind of uh, jumped back into their shell. Uh, but I think the kind of the entire ecosystem around the NBA is still much woker than any other league. You, you, I know you've you know kind of picked Joe Burrow, but he's just kind of one guy and, you know, uh, fresher to college. But I think in the entire uh, player base, of the NBA, right, they're kind of leaning into, um, you know, social justice issues much harder than any kind of collective on the NFL or NBA, ML. MLB side and plus well, I, just... I, I would push back I'd say there's a distinction with the exception of Marcus Smart speaking on guns I think and I probably should have said this in the cross tabs when I was talking about the civics tracking poll that obviously there's a lot of black support for BLM and that would be an issue for you if you're Del Rio I think on on issues like that you see support in the NBA I don't so much see it I I haven't seen NBA players really joining in on LGBT issues, for instance. I haven't really seen these other issues come to the fore. Um, and I see more of that on an institutional level uh, from baseball specifically, and now increasingly from football of late. And I would say even, um, like I said, in the ecosystem of the NBA, like you watch the finals, this is actually not too bad, but uh, of course you've you know famously written about uh, Nike ads being incredibly woke uh, when it comes to Nike basketball products. Oh, uh, oh, I, I should, I, without interrupting, I think, this, okay, we're going to come to agreement on something here, which is that the, when you talk about the ecosystem, the NBA can't necessarily control everything yes. ESPN does. And ESPN turned the lead up to the finals into an anti-gun extravaganza. Um, and that's something where even people who might even broadly agree are looking at it probably and going, this sort of takes me out of the thing. Um, this sort of, I'm trying to, I'm trying to enjoy some mindless entertainment. This is the most horrific stuff. So that aspect of the ecosystem, I s- suppose, could have an impact on on what happened. Absolutely, and I was getting there. Why I, I think the NBA is still kind of damaged as a TV product. Uh, it is ESPN, but you know, like I said, even when you're watching the finals, you'll see some weird, you know, woke ads that you wouldn't see in other leagues, right? Like, Mm. uh, you know, if you run up with the Nike one, Adidas has a similar one that they released this year. It was basically their version of those kind of cringe, um, 
you know, empowering yeah. women uh, basketball ads. I don't know if you've seen them. I don't watch a lot of, uh, <laughs> I watch, so I watch stuff on Hulu. And so I don't necessarily know if I get the same ad, uh, if I get the same ads thrown my way. Yes. And, and I'll just say that I think the big problem for the NBA is ESPN. I think their coverage of the game is really bad. Like you mentioned, kind of uh, a lot of in- injecting politics into the pregame and, you know, halftime uh, analysis portions. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that is, you know, really hurting them from uh, a spectator because everyone recognizes how great TNT's coverage is, uh, particularly mm. the um, and, uh, you know, and this is a question for you, Ethan, because you worked in ESPN. Is it even possible, like if they were to be able to hire away uh, Chuck and, and Shaq, for them to perform in the same roles within ESPN or is the, no, no, because the Barkley so would, like, ESPN couldn't handle the like four controversies a year. No. Barkley gets into, they, they, they would not know how to handle it. No, he would say something about women. He might say, I like guns or something like that. And yes, it would be, they couldn't, it would be like when they tried to bring Barstool on an on, onboard Barstool. Mm. It, it just wouldn't work. And yeah, re- they it would. That's a perfect comparison because they don't know how to like let something go away. Yeah, and yeah. and it just seems like so overproduced, right? The magic of the TNT show is that these guys are, you know, speaking top of mind, right? Well, There's nothing well that's the it. other thing is that like the people in charge of ESPN, like content, Sports Center is their baby, and so. They would never like do that to SVP and the Sports Center brand by like having an actual post game show. Yeah, and I just think TNT is perfect as the cable arm of the NBA. Turner is perfect. What they've built is, I think, just almost underappreciated. And at the same time, I don't even think it would necessarily be the right way to do the big time grandeur, we all know what the right way to do it is and was, and that was the NBA and NBC, which is no more. Mm-hmm. I agree. And just lastly, before I jump off, they, uh, they uh, need to bring back these like montage highlight packages that they did to hype those games. So easy and they don't do it. But yeah, you were exactly. saying. Exactly. That, that's part of the ESPN problem. And I think even like kind of the 8K shots that they do, that they force on the audiences are really bad because it's. Uh, uh, it's just not interesting. Uh, but, you know, just curious, when you were doing uh, SportsCenter hits, Ethan, yeah. from the floor, like, how much was that prepared, you know, how much, like, was a producer in your ear uh, kind of directing you on what you could say and not say? Yeah, you know what's funny is that very much unprepared, but that's because they're doing so many of them that it's just almost like a factory assembly line and it's so dry and it's hard to be entertaining and it it almost seems like you're kept within narrow parameters by the questions you, so they don't you said yeah. you described it in your book as hurry up and wait yeah well a lot of hurry up and wait too where uh you 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 get to the spot and then they move some things around and you wait uh, an hour and a half to 2 hours to talk for a few for a few seconds, but no, there it was not, there wasn't any sort of abundance of coaching. It just felt like everything you said was into this void and nothing mattered and nothing stuck. So, um, yeah, it was, it, but there was no kind of control from up top. It might be different now. There might be a lot of emails, about what you can say and can't say, let's take a question from Adam in the queue. And maybe Don we'll get on Cordione. Don Corleone that, is the that's, that's right, Ryan. That's the, uh, that's actually what I look like in real life. Uh, no, I, I've seen, I, uh, I've our oldest scholar. <laughs> I didn't call in to, to say this, but, um, you know, I am part of the demo that does switch based on announcers. I'm a Warriors fan, so I've been watching all their games. But earlier in the playoffs, I would choose more preferentially towards the TNT broadcast just because I wanted to see what Chuck and Ernie would say at halftime. Mm. or Away afterwards. from Fitz. You, you, like, you ran away from fifth? No, no. I'm, I mean, compared to the ESPN games that weren't Warriors ah. games. Like, if I'm deciding at non, non-Warriors playoffs game, I'm, I'm drifting towards TNT every time. Well, they yeah. don't go head-to-head with each other, but it's like That's they what I do mean. go yeah. head-to-head with everything else on the planet. You're more likely 
to decide on the NBA if it's a TNT game. You're going to watch that over, you know, streaming the South Park new special. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, go to head exactly. to head with everything. Yeah. And I yeah. think this gets lost in the conversation about these things is that it's really a combination of factors and people's attachment to a brand is this ineffable emotional connection. And anybody who is insisting that uh, the politics or whatever about the people involved have no impact, I think are just wrong. They're incorrect. I mean, it yeah, has... it's, it's where is it on the pie chart? We don't know. Yeah, you know, but there are all sorts of these questions. We just had this election yesterday um, in a border district. It will be redistricted soon where it was one that was won by uh, Biden, I think, by 13 points. And in the special election, the Republican won. It's a nearly, I think it's 85 percent Hispanic district. And I thought to myself, this is similar to your Mark Jones question, Ryan. I thought to myself, to what percentage degree is the Latinx thing part of what has happened here? You know, like, I feel like it's part of it, but I'll never know. I will never know to what degree, like, what shaved off those 13 points. Was it, you know, is it two of those points? Is it three of those points? <laughs> I don't know. But, but I feel like it can't, um, be, it, can't, it can't be none it, of those points. It, I don't know what it is, but I do have, like, I have I, not, other than seeing tweets about it, I haven't studied any of the dynamics of this race as interesting Mm. as it is. But what I will say is I think over the last 10 or 20 years, the Democrats have favored open borders. It's two things. One, and this is totally fair. It's a belief that, Hey, our ancestors came to America seeking opportunity. America is a great place when like new people are taking risks and coming here and trying to like better the future generations of their family. And why are you scared of competing with them? Like, like that's what we're founded on competition. Plus maybe a cynical belief that because they're the, the like capital T tolerant party that people of color are always going to vote for them in high proportion. But a lot of Latin American immigrants are people who have fled authoritarian, like, socialist regimes. And if they get a sense that that's what's coming here, they are going to fight their asses against it. And so... I think that part of it was like a genuine tolerance on the part of the Democrats. And part of it might've been a miscalculation that they would dominate with this demographic in elections for perpetuity. I'm giving five points to Latinx, but I think Charlie is going <laughs> to yell at us. I think Charlie contentious Chicagoan that he is, is going to yell at us. And that's going to be the final, final call that we take. Okay. One and two or three. Charlie. Contentious, contentious Chicagoan man. Not, that's like, I feel like I'm. That's I'm almost an oxymoron. Like people, <laughs> there really aren't people. Just they are you know, friendly of the big city people. They are the friendliest. It is true. It is, yes, it, it cuts against stereotype. I agree. Well, we all have our hidden hatreds. We just mask it well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to lower the valve way down, Ethan, and get you into your Woj bag for a second here. Ooh, Woj bag. And, so, like you, I know how fucking silly it is to, like, pay attention to Twitter transaction breaking news, like, I, in the grand scheme of things. Like, it it doesn't really matter. But because I now know of the weight and the importance that goes into it, like, I know the stakes. I'm, I'm always kind of watching. And so tonight, Christian Wood is traded. Sean mm-hmm. says it first. And then um, Tim McMahon of ESPN. And then Woj. And then ESPN, of course, does the thing where, like, the Sports Center feed will tweet, Woj is breaking news. And then I was thinking about, like, when you guys co-author a uh, breaking, like, a story, what's the give and take of, like, do they, would you want Woj on your, to co-author a story or, mm. or for the eyeballs? Or is it, like, get out of here? You, what's you, the dynamic? I'm just curious. They wa- you want it. No, I think in some situations you don't. I think um, sometimes there is an element of 
you're in prison and the biggest guy around sits down and wants uh, your fruit cup uh, is, is often what happens there behind the scenes. Um, because there are instances where the reporters got it, but if somebody is in charge there and has a lot of their ego invested in being the one who breaks the news, uh, they will maneuver. Now, I've heard that Shams behind the scenes at The Athletic uh, is fairly generous uh, with these things and will kind of work with you. Uh, the other guy, uh, not the greatest guy to work with. And I don't think I'm spilling any secrets when I say it. it well, it depends on who. Like, you know, yeah. I, but like there, there's people that he's had like good relationships for a long time, like Tim Bontemps, like, right. He's certainly yeah. benefited from his, I'm not saying, work, yeah, but... I'm not saying that that never happens. I'm just saying that one of these guys went on national TV to dispute the true report, uh, of a colleague, uh, <laughs> on, on ESPN that turned out to, uh, you know, it, turned, it went the way it, that it went. And, uh, I haven't seen Shams do anything like that. that. That's what I would say. All I needed to know, all I needed to know, is when you put that spreadsheet article out, it just mm. it struck like because I have Woj's. <laughs> we all know Woj's who do certain things like that in terms yeah. of uh, like numerical <laughs> competition. So it struck. So now I know. So now I'm on because now I'm on the watch for that now. Yeah, it's uh, and you're referencing the article I did that. Woj was sending around a spreadsheet demonstrating his dominance as a social media influencer over his uh, over his colleagues. Well, over everybody in the industry, but his colleagues as well. Um, I'm like getting some sort of echo right now. I think maybe that is the cue to get on out of here. A controversial call-in session, Ryan. Do you have anything to plug as we get on? Out? I do. I do. Um, so I have a story probably coming out tomorrow. Uh, it's an interview slash profile on this guy named DJ Bamboozle. Have you heard of him? He grew up in San Diego. Yes. About age. Yes. Yes. I've heard of him. So he, um, he, he, he went to high school with Jared Dudley and is like kind of gradually worked his way into the NBA ecosystem. And he was one of like six or seven people on a trip to a private island in the Maldives with like LeBron and his inner circle in the last couple months. And so I'm, I, re- I have a story coming out about like the journey on how something like that happens and how you enter those circles. Oh, he grew up in Claremont. Now I'm just looking him up. I've heard about him through Amin has mentioned him. Um, and I guess he went to, yeah, he went to Horizon. God, they were good at basketball um, when Jared Dudley was there. Although I had no idea that Dudley would become an NBA player. That, that's, that's still shocking to me that that happened. But be on the lookout for that. I certainly will read that story. It's been tailor-made to be of interest to me. I will be <laughs> posting on Substack. I've been very impressed by the podcast numbers of late on the old Substack. Um, and some really good momentum. I'm going to try to validate it. I'm going to try to really uh crank hard this summer is that what people say is that a phrase crank hard well I'm yeah crank that soldier boy yeah i'm gonna crank you. it <laughs> i'm gonna crank it it's an excellent reference to 2007 um right there uh yeah got some good stuff some good stuff coming down the pike i have nearly coming up on a year nearly coming up on a year anniversary late august will be the year anniversary of going to the old sub stack. And I'm so thankful. Yes. LFG. I'm thankful to everybody who has subscribed and made it a success. Thankful to all the people who listen to this and call in with your questions. We will see all of you next week when there will be a new NBA champion. See you. Thank you. Have a good one.